grace and that freedom that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I think they ought to come out with a Bible with all the words in red. Because it's all the Word of God. Anyway, it's great to see you today. Hope everybody's having a good Labor Day weekend. Uh, if you haven't gone to see the movie Overcomer, get her done, get her done. Amazing movie, amazing movie. I mean, we need to support Christian films, man. The gospel presented, very, very good. Take some uh, Kleenex with you, just a hint. I take a little Kleenex with you, but it is a great movie, Overcomer. It's on, I know, in Union, Washington right now. Hope you'll get the uh, opportunity to get over and see it. It's really a blessing. So it's good to see you today, and uh, want to finish off, we're going to finish off our series on Tittlewith. Everybody say Tittlewith. And that stands for trust in the Lord with all thy heart. You know, on the journey we're on, I know I share many times, sometimes I know people think pastors live up here and everybody else lives down here. I'm going to tell you, the only people that believe that are people that don't know pastors. Because I want to tell you, we're all on the same journey. We're all in the same process of becoming more like Jesus. And if there's anybody on this planet that needs to learn to have childlike faith in God, it's me. And so again, it's easy to talk about it, but when we're out there in the world, that's when we need to have that faith in God. And this is something that God's been dealing with me about over the last few months, just learning to have that childlike faith in our Heavenly Father. And so as we've talked about, we spent a couple weeks just talking about knowing God. Because let me say, really, everything in the Christian life is built on our knowledge of God. If we don't really know God, it's hard, it's impossible to trust a God that you do not know. But once you get to know the heart of God and to know that He absolutely loves us, and He not only loves us, He actually likes you. Isn't that crazy? That He actually loves you, He likes you. And once we get to know the heart of God, it's just so natural. It's so easy to trust in God that you know absolutely has your best interest. And so knowing God is really the foundation for everything in the Christian life. And so once we know God, then His Word is very easy to trust. Again, it's easy to trust someone that you know absolutely loves you so very, very much. And so that's kind of the foundation of trusting God. Last week we talked about going to heaven and we're all on that journey. And let me again say that if you're born again, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to just remind you, you're going to make it to the other side. You are going to make it. But you can either go first class Go coach or go cargo. And so first class, or I call first classes in Isaiah when it says, I will trust and not be afraid. That's first class. That's where I would love to live all the time. That's where I feel on Sunday morning when I have the goosebumps. I'm trusting. And have you ever noticed that in any one given day, I'm in all three places every day. I find myself kind of moving around on the airplane. Coaches, when I'm afraid, I will trust. Now, that's good. That's okay. When you do get afraid, then you put your trust in God. That's second best. First best is trusting and not being afraid. 
And then cargo over there is just, man, you're just living under stress the whole time. You're worried. You're a worry wart. You're stressed. You're worried. All, all just your BBs always at a 9 or 10. God doesn't want you. Can I tell you who's going to make it? Everybody's going to make it. Why not enjoy the journey? Why not learn to trust God and just learn to trust and not be afraid that he has this thing? That he really genuinely knows everything you're going through and he absolutely loves you. He absolutely loves you. And so probably over the last couple months, probably a couple dozen times a day throughout the day, I just find myself, I imagine myself as a small child because that's where God has taken me to learn trust from a, from a small child. And probably a couple dozen times a day throughout the day, I just say, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I trust you. And it's really kind of crazy. The more you say that and the more you begin to picture that childlike trust, it really does help calm the craziness of life when you just confess that you actually put your trust in your Abba because he absolutely loves you and he likes you. And so I find myself doing this several times. I always go back, and this is a scripture we've looked at every all five Sundays we've talked about tittle with, but I always go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's no clear picture, there's no greater example in the Bible of Jesus' trust of his heavenly Father than in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he was getting ready to face Calvary, an unbelievable pain, the gut-riching uh, rejection of man, and yet in the garden he trusts. He refers to his father as Abba. And again, that Abba, as the rabbis say, is really the language of a small child as they would look up and say, Dada or Mama. It's just that childlike tenderness. Now, you don't have to be a child to say Abba because here he's 33 years old. But isn't it amazing that even at 33, just hours before Calvary, he would refer to his father in those tender words, Abba, Father. That he put his trust in his heavenly father. No greater illustration in the Bible of putting your trust in your heavenly father any greater than right here. And so let's just kind of review. We've talked about about every week. Trusting God may not remove us from the storms of life. Now, sometimes God will remove you from a storm. Whoopee, I'm excited when God removes me from the storm. I, I'm just being honest. Many times we got to go through the storm. And here, as he put his trust in his heavenly father, he still had to go to Calvary. So sometimes trusting God may not remove us from the storms of life. Second of all, trusting God may not ease the pain and suffering. I mean, even though he put his trust in his Abba Father, he still was going to suffer. He still had tremendous pain. So I just want you to understand, and again, I'm going to pray for the healing. I mean, there's nobody going to pray more positive than me. I want to see the miracle. I want to see the healing. I mean, I believe God is in the miracle business, but I also want to be honest to say sometimes we don't get the miracle. Sometimes we have to go through the pain and the suffering. And that's part of trusting God. Number three, Tittleworth may not bring clarity and direction. I mean, there's a lot of things in my life I do not understand. I wish I could tell you that I understand everything that's going on in your life. And sometimes when people sit down and begin to tell me what's going on, I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what to say to them. I have no word. I have no direct word. But one thing I do know is that God knows. 
and that God absolutely loves them and that God cares about them. Now, I like it when God gives me clarity. That is really cool when I have that direct word. But kind of, I mean, if I'm just being honest, probably 80, 90% of the things in my life, I don't have 100% clarity. And I just have to learn to trust. I mean, the disciples did not understand what was going on at Calvary. They were all dispersed. They were all in darkness. But even in the middle of that, they could trust God. And finally, trusting God may not bring a fairy tale ending on this side. That's really important. And again, I know there's a gospel out there that's being preached that says health, wealth, everything is hunky-dory. And I'm just going to tell you, I like, I mean, there is a part of, of the gospel that's that mountaintop. But if I'm being honest, life does not always have a fairy tale ending. Let's be real. And I think we have to be real because if we're expecting a fairy tale ending, if we're expecting no pain or suffering, if we're expecting 100% clarity, if we're expecting to never go through a storm, we're going to be pretty disappointed. I mean, I'm just being honest. And so if we can learn, yeah, I'm going to pray for the miracle, I'm going to pray to be out of the storm, but my, my greatest gift is finding God in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the confusion. I can say to my Abba, Abba, I know that you love me, and I'm just trusting you. I'm just trusting you. If I can get out of this, that would be cool. But if not, I just want, I want, I want to truly trust that you have my best interest. Can I tell you, that's the greater gift. If you can find God in the storm and in the pain of life, what an incredible gift that really is. Because so much of life is in the valley and in the storm. I like how Job just kind of reflected on some of the people in the Bible who certainly didn't have a, an easy sailing. Job is one of those persons. I love in chapter 13, the first part of uh, verse 15, Job says, though he slay me, I will trust him. Wow. I mean, if anyone could have got upset at God, it was Job. But he said, even though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. I want to be at that point that I could trust God to that degree. And then there's Habakkuk. I mean, I used to think, man, I, it would be so cool to be a prophet of God. That would be so amazing. No way. I mean, them guys had it tough. I mean, Habakkuk, if you remember, the Babylonians were getting ready to come and take the children of Israel into captivity for 70 years. And Habakkuk has three chapters. The first chapter is where I live a lot of times. He's crying out, God, why are you not answering? God, why do I cry out and I don't hear from you? God, it's a mess down here. Man, down here, things are out of control. Evil seems to be prevailing. God, where are you? Have you ever been there, wondering where God is? And you would think God would take you out of that. I mean, that's me what I would hope for. God, get me out of here. Second chapter of Habakkuk, he begins to seek God and set his eyes on the heart of God. And then God gives him a word, and God says to him, Habakkuk is saying, how can I survive? I mean, the Babylonians were tremendously cruel. They were very wicked. I mean, it would be like God saying to America, I'm going to let ISIS take over America for 70 years. How many of you would be thinking about moving? Yeah. 
I mean, when you think about that, that's what they were facing, unbelievable cruelty. And then God gives him a word, and the word isn't that he gets to get out of there. The word is, the just shall live by faith. That in the middle of all the pain, the suffering, in the middle of the storm, Habakkuk, I want you to put your faith in me. I want you to trust me. And Habakkuk has that moment that I want to have in my life. Not that God would take away everything, but in the middle of everything that I can truly trust God. Habakkuk, the book ends by saying this. He gets to a point that in essence he says to God, God, if everything in my life is stripped away, you are enough. Wow. Man, that's where I want to be. God, you are really the main thing I need. Listen to what he says. Let's read together. These are the last few verses of the book of Habakkuk. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk says, God, if you strip away everything in my life, if I literally have nothing but you, that's enough. I want to be able to say that to God. You know, one of the famous verses, chapters in the Bible, Psalms 23, David talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And David says to the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Can I tell you, when you truly fall in love with God, when you really understand his incredible love, you'll really discover he's all you need. Now, if you have things, that's a bonus. But if everything is stripped away from your life, if you have God, that's enough. And I like how the Sunday school teacher had their class memorize this verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How many of you know kids sometimes get it different? Sometimes kids get it different, but it's amazing how many times they get it right. Here's how one kid interpreted that verse. The Lord is my shepherd. He's all I want. That's pretty good. That'll preach right there. The Lord is my shepherd. He's all I want. To be at that place that truly God is all I want in life. It's not about growing a church. It's not about numbers and nickels. It really is about a relationship with God and knowing that God is all I need in life. He's my shepherd. You know, before Jesus left the disciples, one of the last lessons he tried to teach them was to trust God. One of his very last lessons he tried to teach the disciples before he went to Calvary was to put their trust in God. Because again, it's so difficult. It's easy on Sunday to sing red letters and get goosebumps. What's hard is when we're out there in the storms and the struggles and the valleys and the pain. And Jesus is trying to encourage them in a few days, they were going to be going through some darkness. They were going to be scattered. They were going to go through with no clarity of what was going on. And he's trying to encourage them, trust He says to him, very familiar passage, let's read here, this from the King James. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And now that word believe is is an important word. And this isn't on your notes, by the way, but believe, the Greek word there, means to believe, to put one's faith in, to trust. 
with the implication that one will act on that trust. In other words, Jesus is saying, I not only want you to believe God exists, but I want you to believe him so much that you're willing to trust him. Put all your eggs in that basket because you're going to be going through some dark hours. But I want you to put your trust in God and put your trust in me. I want you to believe me. That word believe is used 239 times in the New Testament. The same exact Greek word is translated trust or entrust three times. Same word. Here's how the Amplified Bible says it. Let's read together. Do not let your heart be troubled, afraid, cowardly. Believe confidently in God and trust in Him. Have faith, hold on to it, rely on it, and believe also in me. I love that. I love the Amplified. Here's how the Jewish Bible, the complete Jewish Bible has it. Don't let yourself be disturbed. Anybody ever get disturbed? He says, don't let yourself be disturbed. Trust in God and trust in me. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to learn to trust. When you're going through a fog, when you're going through the pain, I want you to put your trust in me. As I think about, again, not having a fairy tale ending and people who preach a health and wellness gospel, people that preach that everything's going to end up on the mountaintop, I'm just telling you, it's just being dishonest with the Bible and dishonest with, with life. Now, again, I like mountaintops. I like to live up there. I like to be, I always have the miracle. But we've got to be real because it's in the valleys and the storms that we have to learn to trust God. And if we don't learn to trust God, we literally are going to be in cargo. We are going to be stressed out even though God has this thing under control. I just want to give you some, some not-so-fairy-tale endings. There was Stephen who was stoned, and the Bible records that in Acts chapter 7. The Bible says that while they were stoning him, because of his stand and his relationship with Jesus. I love how the Bible says he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he, and he actually says to the Jews who were stoning him, I see Jesus, he's standing at the right hand of the Father. They weren't excited about that. And by the way, when you think about Jesus going to heaven, Ephesians tells us that when he ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father because his work was done as a high priest. So it's unusual that Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus standing. Now one person told me he was giving Stephen a standing ovation. Now I don't know if that's right or not. It sounds cool. I like someone else said the reason Jesus was standing, he was getting ready to welcome Stephen home. I like that. I don't know if that's right or not, but it sounds right. I just tell you, when you study church history, time after time after time, it was not a fairy tale ending on this side. There was James, uh, John's brother, sons of thunder. He was killed with a sword in Acts chapter 12. He was the first of the disciples, by the way, to give his life for Jesus Christ. Now, Judas was the first one who went out and hung himself, but he wasn't the real deal. But the first of the disciples that were willing to lay down their life for Jesus Christ was James. And it was so important that that first one be willing to lay down his life for Jesus Christ. And then there was Matthew. According to history, Matthew was pinned to the ground and beheaded with a halberd. 
which is kind of a glorified axe. How many of you can think of a few different ways you'd like to go out of here? But one by one by one, they were willing to lay down their life because this world was not their home. They trusted their heavenly Father, and they did not have a fairy tale ending on this side. And then there was John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He was dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria. I can think of a few better ways I would like to exit. Then there was Peter, who asked to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified right side up like the Lord Jesus. But one by one by one, down through history, believers were willing to give their life for the cause of Jesus Christ, and they gave their life willingly, graciously, because this world was not their home. And then there was Andrew, and this isn't on your notes even, but he was crucified, they say, on an X-shaped cross, because again, he didn't want to be crucified on the same kind of cross that Jesus. And then Paul was beheaded in A.D. 66. So he didn't have a fairy tale ending as far as on this side either. If you ever get a chance to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, I have a copy here. It's not easy reading. Let me just say it's not the kind of uh, a fun reading. But for the first several hundred years of Christianity, they went through tremendous persecution where they lost everything. They had to be thrown to the lions and all kinds of different ways to torment and to torture believers. And yet the amazing thing was the more that the world persecuted the church, the faster Christianity grew. Isn't that kind of crazy? That no matter how difficult it was, the power of God was greater. And the early church discovered that, that finding God and putting our trust in God is a greater gift than, than having everything turn out well. And I've been so discouraged in my life because I believe that somehow if I can get everything lined up, if I can get up on the mountaintop, I'll be where God wants me. I honestly believe where God wants me is in the middle of the storm to be able to trust my Abba, to be able to truly trust my Heavenly Father and to give Him that gift of trust. And Hebrews 11 again reminds us that life isn't about a fairy tale ending on this side. Now, some of you look a little discouraged. Do not be discouraged because there is a fairy tale ending, but it's on the other side. It's going to be amazing over there. And everything we've gone through, everything we've gone through absolutely is for our best interests and for His glory. And when we really begin to realize that, it will change the way we live every day. In Hebrews, after talking about Abraham, Sarah, Noah, Enoch, it says these all died in faith. They didn't receive all the promises on this side, but they saw them afar off and they embraced them. They believed that good was coming, that there was a fairy tale ending, but it was on the other side. That's really important. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on, and about verse 32 of Hebrews 11, he knows he's running out of time. How many of you ever realize, I'm running out of time, i got to hurry up, speed up. And so he's going to speed up all of a sudden, and he begins to talk about all the great things people did by faith. Now this is where you guys get to get happy. So I'm going to read off these things, and each time I read off something, you guys get to shout. Wow. <laughs> this is your happy place. How many of you have ever said, man, I'd just like to shout one time in church? 
This is your time right here. All right? So this is what people did by faith. This is pretty good stuff. This is what I like to, I like to preach on this part. This is good stuff. I want to preach on the positive side of faith. And so he realizes time is running short. So he says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now here's your part. Each time I read something they did by faith, you guys get happy. All right, whatever you're happy. If, if all you can do is grunt, grunt, all right? If, you can, if you're not a hand raiser, just wave, wave it down here, all right? Just do whatever. This is what they did by faith, all right? Thank you. Thank you. All right, here we go. Who through faith, they subdued kingdoms. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I knew that was in you. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. <laughs> you guys are awesome. You get me on. That's really good. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Woo! Man, that's good stuff. I wish it would stop right there and they cut off the rest of the next two verses. Woo! I'd have a good time preaching about faith. However, there's a comma. Yeah. Here's the part of faith you don't hear much about. Here's the part of faith you don't hear preached. I can count on one hand how many times these next couple verses are preached about with a couple fingers left over. He goes on to say, others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were cut in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise on this side. Now, can I be honest? Can we just be real? I would much rather stop the mouth of lion by faith than to be eaten by a lion. Can I just be real? I would much rather conquer a city by faith than to be stoned to death. Can I, can I just be real? I would much rather shut the violence of fire than to be burned alive. And yet, I, if we're going to be honest, down through church history, again, the, the, the fairy tale ending is not on this side, but the other side. But I want you to know, God is so faithful. God absolutely loves you. I'm going to pray for the miracle. I'm going to pray for the mountaintop. But if God doesn't give you the miracle, if he doesn't give you the mountaintop, in the middle of the valley, learn to trust him. Learn that your Abba, your Heavenly Father, absolutely knows everything you're going through today, and He loves you. You know, when I was little, watching quilts being made, those of you that are quilters, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you have the patience. But you know, from the underside of a quilt, they look pretty ugly. They look really ugly, really, just to be honest. I mean, it looks like a mess from the underside. 
But from the other side, when you turn a quilt over, it's amazing how beautiful they are. And this is just a quilt that happens to have some scripture on it, like great is his faithfulness, God is mighty to save. I like the one on the bottom left, if you can see it, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I don't know why I like that one today. But you know, sometimes in life we look up like Habakkuk and say, God, what is going on? I don't understand. God, what is going on? But when we get to the other side and see life from heaven's perspective, wow, God, you had that all along. God, you absolutely had that. Why didn't I enjoy? Why didn't I trust you in the middle of that when you absolutely had everything under control? Here's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Revelation 19. You talk about going through a difficult time, the people that had to endure the tribulation. The Bible says it's going to be a tribulation like no one has ever seen. Now, I'm hoping the church gets out of there at some point. But those who go through it on the other side, this is at the end of the tribulation, as they're up in heaven, what I would probably be saying is, God, what in the heck were you thinking? But notice on the other side, when they see it all from God's perspective, notice what it says. Let's read together from Revelation 19. I heard a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. From the other side, they're going to say, God, you were so wise. God, you were so true. Everything that you allowed when evil seemed to prevail, God, you had this thing all along. It's going to be awesome on the other side. Learning to trust. You know, there's a song that I've been playing a lot, and it's a song by Laura Daigle entitled, I Will Trust in You. Uh, I heard Laura Daigle share a testimony as she wrote this song. And the song says, when you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, God, I'm going to trust you. And as she was sharing her testimony, before she released this song, she was really, really, really close to her grandfather. He was her biggest supporter, she said. And just literally weeks before this song was to come out and recorded, her grandfather got very sick and he died. And she said, my grandfather never got to hear this song. She never got to see the, hear the recording. You know, sometimes when we're going through struggles and difficulties in life, it's learning to trust God again when we don't have the miracle. And again, I'm going to pray for the miracle. I want to say it. I'm going to always pray positive. I want to see the miracle. But just in case God doesn't give the miracle, I want to truly be able to trust him and to know that he absolutely has my best interest. I want you to listen to this word, the words of this song. And I, I know that everyone hears, I look around, there's not a person sitting here that's not going through something that they don't understand. And learning to trust God is such an incredible gift. It's such an incredible gift to be able to trust Him even when you don't understand. I want you to picture yourself as a small child, and as she sings, I just want you to be able to say that to God. God, I trust in you, even though you're not moving the mountain, even though we're not parting the waters. God, I still trust you. 
I hope that's our gift back to God. Listen to the words. Letting go of every single dream. I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wandering never changes what you see. I've tried to win this war. I take a minute and just pray if you're here today and you just really just need a touch from God maybe it's a physical touch maybe it's a it's a mental spiritual warfare I want to pray for a miracle for you but the greatest miracle is in the middle of it to trust so if you're here today and you would just say you don't have to come forward you don't have to say anything 
But if you're here today and you honestly just need someone to pray for you, I just want you to stand right where you are. Just by standing, you're just saying, I need prayer. Anybody here today that just needs someone to pray for you? I pray for everybody. There's not a person sitting here that doesn't need to trust God. Father, I just, I thank you, Abba, Father, that you absolutely love us. You care about every detail of our life. And God, my heart is that you would provide a miracle for each one who's standing and those who are seated. God, without you, Lord, there is no hope. And so I do pray for the miracle, for the healing the Lord to move the mountain in their life. But God, if you choose not to, I pray for the miracle that they could trust you. Father, wrap your arms around each one of us today. and Just remind us how much you love us and care about us. God, we don't want to live one day in our own strength. But Father, we want to trust you. We want to give you our life and honor you with our life. Quietly all stand.